We're on page Yud Aleph of the introduction of Kapach to his Mishneh Torah. And we were writing, about, we're talking about the different manuscripts, the Yemenite manuscripts, and how when he studied by his grandfather, that there were uh, different manuscripts that some people had printed books, some people had written books, some people had uh, older, newer, but that written books had such a bad stigma in Yemen that, that when they wanted to call a person who was crooked in his thoughts, they would call him a printed book. That was a derogatory word. And now he's talking about how the rabbis of Yemen never sent their hands, I mean, they never defiled the writings of the Rambam by trying to edit books on their own. Unless they had another text of the Rambam from him that was clear, they didn't touch the writings of the Rambam, we're going to elaborate on the practical ramifications it has today. So, we are one, two, three, four, five lines down from the top of the page. Two words in, there's a period. These things are already proven from the remnants of manuscripts that we've revealed until today. From the actual handwriting of the Rambam that have been discovered recently. Not entire manuscripts, but pieces, bits and pieces. They fit perfectly the handwriting of the, the handwritten manuscripts of Yemen. And the other handwritten manuscripts from other places in the world also, to a certain extent, match the handwritten manuscripts from Yemen. But the printing, the printed editions of the Rambam, <coughs> Aside from the things that Rabbeinu the Rambam changed on his own, meaning he already revised his book or edited a sentence or a halakha, and they didn't reach the printers before they printed their editions of the Rambam. So the Rambam revisioned his books, but the printers already had an older version. But these changes are not so many. So there's not so many times where the Rambam revised something and the printers didn't get it. There are some amendments which Rabbeinu, the Rambam, he changed, he edited and he added. And he wrote them in the margins of his books from the side. You know, they're old Jewish bans and excommunication and people who print books without leaving margins on the side. Don't try to save paper. Amisal always needs a place to write on the side of the page. It was an old Jewish practice. And the printers, or the copiers, didn't really pay attention to where the Rambam was trying to insert this revised text. And they inserted the new text in the wrong place. And they caused chaos in understanding the words of the Rambam. So sometimes, you know, this happens even to you sometimes. You go back to edit something, you edit in the wrong place, the sentence doesn't make any sense. But they did that to the Rambam's books, and now you have entire segments that are out of order, where one sentence is stuck in the middle of another sentence, and people are trying to figure out, so what was the Rambam really trying to say? The Rambam really knew what he meant to say. The copier made a mistake. And on those type of errors, says Rav Kapach, I made a note in that place 
But these are also minor, meaning minor, they don't happen so often. They're infrequent. But you can add them to all the other problems that exist in the book, and then there's a lot of them. But perhaps the most terrible of all, the Kashemikol, and the most difficult of all, and in com- uh, apostrophes, the editors. The editors, they're the worst. Sefer Zeshel Rabbenu, this book, Mishneh Torah, the Rambam, Aval Aricha Kashabioter. It went, underwent some of the most cruel editing. From all the self proclaimed editors of the Rambam's books. Aricha Shebesignon. There are those who edited the style of the Rambam. Aricha Shebelashon. There are those who edited the language of the Rambam. There are those who try to edit the sentence structure of the Rambam. Even editing the order which the Rambam wrote his halachot. You know, sometimes they'll get a book that's adapted from, paraphrased from. I don't give me any adaptations. If I can read the original, I don't want your adaptation. Yeah, when someone adapts something or paraphrases something, that includes their own commentary or their own minimal understanding or limited understanding, should I say, of the text. You can't imply things or analyze things in the text if it's already paraphrased. Sometimes people think, oh, it's a cryptic language or the wording is wrong or let's make it more modern sounding. You always have people in the printed books who try to do such things. Kizot ladat, you must know. Harambam atzmo, the Rambam himself, chilek et sifrom lahalachot klanot. He edited his book on his own. He already, when he wrote the Mishneh Torah, he already broke it down into chapters and into individual halachot. Unlike which book, the Tur or the Talmud for sure doesn't have a breakdown of halachot. Uh, the the book of the Tur, yeah, the Tur Shachanuch. It doesn't have, it's just chapter 167, and then it has a one run long run on paragraph. Later editors came and split it up into A, B, C, D, E. The Rambam, though, he numbered his halachot intentionally. The Rambam, in his introduction, writes that he did that in order so the people who are studying this book, they can memorize the book easily by heart. What the Rambam didn't do was he didn't give numbers to the halachot. So whereas he broke it down into halachot, he didn't number them. And the numbering of the Rambam's manuscripts was done by those notaries that were sent back and forth to copy from the Rambam's writings. That's also the same thing with Moen when it's split up into chapters. That's the same thing that happened there. The Rambam broke down the book into sections, but the Lavlarim, they're the ones who numbered those chapters. Like I wrote already in my own edition of the Rambam's Moen So if what you understand from here, the book underwent very difficult editing. 
כמעט שאין הלכה שאין בה הגאי. So there's almost not one הלכה in the משנה תורה that doesn't have editing done to it. איני מכיר שום ספר שעבר עריכה קשה כפי שנעשה בצורה זו של רבנו. It says, and I know of no other halachic work that underwent the amount of editing like the Rambam's Mishnah Torah. That's what he's going to explain to us now. Vasibar Bura, and the reason is clear. En sefer shnit pashet chish maher uvarzot rabot kitzvot zesh rabbenu. There's no other book that spreads so fast to so many different countries like the book of the Rambam's Mishnah Torah. Especially to what is called today the lands of the East. He's using that term and not because he believes in it, because that's what people call it. Perhaps in a different time, we'll discuss whether the Jews of the East are really Eastern Jews. <coughs> There was a conscious shift to identifying Sephardic Jews as Easterners in a world that views Westerners as more enlightened. That's a conscious shift that happens. The academies of Spain are not in the East, they're in the West. That's right. They may be a little south of other places, but they're still West. And unfortunately, that's not always reflected in the writings, and we even identify as the Jews of the Orient, or whatever people would like to call it. That's a different time, or discussion for a different place. The Rambam's spreading of this manuscript was with handwritten writings. And everybody's hands touched those manuscripts, and like we are going to explain, and therefore every Chacham, that's a real Chacham. And every Chacham who was half a Chacham, Lishalish, or a third of a Chacham, or a quarter of a Chacham, he all of a sudden decided he was fit for editing books. If the Chachamim had edited, it's one thing. But it was the half Chachamim, the quarter Chachamim that edited things. What does Shlomo Amelech say in Shira Shirim? They're Shualim Ketanim, little foxes, that they, they destroy the vineyards. Big foxes maybe, but little foxes. That's already a different kind of damage. Yeah? We're going to see. He said the worst part is they didn't edit things correctly. They edited things incorrectly. Like what I mentioned yesterday in a different shoe, where the people correct the Torah reader, but the one correcting is making a mistake. And the one reading the Torah correctly is the one being corrected. How many times does this happen? It used to be in the beginning, when I came to San Diego, not with our Chavua, and I would teach Halachot, people would correct me. Rabbi, don't you mean that? I said, no, I don't mean that. I intentionally don't mean what you just said. Don't fill in my sentences for me. I know exactly what I'm trying to tell you. And what I'm telling you is that's exactly what you heard is wrong. But sometimes the people who don't understand, they're the ones correcting. And there are some great rabbis, like real great rabbis. That they had a problem with the writings of the Rambam. They found some kind of perceived mistake or they had some kind of text that looked like it was wrong. 
והציעו שצריך להיות כך וכך, and they wrote in their notes, I think the text should say X, Y, or Z. אך לא מלאם ליבם למחוק ולשבש בתוך הספר. They never thought for one moment that I should go and edit the book. Whether they wrote on the margins of their book, it seems to me that if you would rewrite the sentence this way, or you would edit, because maybe it's a mistake, the question would disappear. But they never edited the book. They simply suggested an alternate reading of the Ramam's text. ובאו אחרים אחריהם, and others came after them, ומחקו דברי רבנו, and they erased the words of the Rambam, והכניסו את הצכניות של הראשונים בתוך הספר, and they put those variant readings into the text. ובכך העלימו את כוונת רבנו ומטרתו, and because of that they hid the Rambam's true intentions, בעוד דברי רבנו במקורם, אם מבינים אותם כפשוטם, נהירים, בהירים וצעירים. And if only you would go back and read the original text of the Rambam, you would realize just how clear and bright and, and, and understandable are the words of the Rambam himself. And the editing was actually a mistake. The fixing was an error. And he said, and every time this happens, I wrote in my notes, this is a mistake of an editor. This is a mistake of another rabbi. It appears that this variant text comes from this writing. Rav Kapach not just writes a commentary in the Mishnah Torah. He painstakingly combs through halachot, through words, through sentences and says, there's a mistake in this printed edition of the Rambam, let's fix it. May we fix it? Let's go back to an original, older manuscript that has a correct version. שפר חלקם מבחינה זו של אותם ספרים אשר נתפסו בחיי המחבר. He said, lucky are those books that were printed in the lifetime of their authors. כגון השולחן ערוך. Like the שולחן ערוך אשר נתפס בחיי מרן המחבר, which was printed in the life of מרן, the author. No, מרן writes the שולחן ערוך, and he merits that the book is printed in his lifetime. Which book of Halakha do you know of that wasn't printed in its author's lifetime? It's a posthumous Halakhic work. If I'm not mistaken, the Shulchan Aruch of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe Adam the Shulchan Aruch of Rabbeinu Zalman of Liadi, that Shulchan Aruch, I believe that in his lifetime, They only printed the laws of Torah study. And the rest of it was gathered together afterwards. You should know. Now I'm not suggesting. Uh, I mean, I'm suggesting. Suggest that in a different time, on your own time, you read a book. Uh, my wife knows the exact name. The Quest for the Founder of Hasidism or something like that. I think by a certain... Something Rosman is the last name. In there, there's an entire chapter... on the manuscripts of the Chabad Lubavitch dynasty and how after the passing of the first Lubavitch Rebbe there was a real war over who would be the next Rebbe and part of that war had to do with the printing of books who really was in charge of these manuscripts many of the books that people think are authored directly by the first Lubavitch Rebbe were actually doctored and edited according to this person's research to fit a certain agenda that belongs, and it's not, it's not unique to Chabad, it happens in many places. But it's unfortunate because even then you're getting a book that was published and the author himself didn't have the ability to weigh in and to share with you, this is what I think, this is what I don't think, this is not correct, you can't say that in my name. 
Whereas when someone publishes a book after someone else passes away, you don't have the person doesn't have the right to speak anymore. And when the book, like a Shulchan Aruch, is printed in a lifetime of the author, so all of the printing are all the you know they're all overseen by the author, or at least by the person he trusts to oversee his printed books. Which makes it very difficult for editors to start editing a book in the lifetime of the one who wrote it. You want to edit my book, you can't do it when I'm still watching. Wait till I'm not watching, and then edit the book. Rambam didn't get this. Masha'en, I mean, he didn't get that privilege. Masha'en ken svarim shitpasu mod b'shanim nachab tarat amchaber, nat piyazek taviyad, shnizdamen idiyam at piyaz, shkvar chalu bo yadayim lo torot. Unlike other books, which are printed hundreds of years after the author wrote them, from copied handwritten manuscripts that showed up by the printer. How many books do I have in my library? Where it says, this book is 300 years old, it's never been printed. The author left it handwritten manuscript and we found it in some library, we found it in the Vatican, we found it in somewhere else, and we're now printing it for the first time in history. You have to assume that the handwritten manuscript was copied authentically. And not that it's a third or fourth or fifth handwritten manuscript. In which case, you don't really know if you're getting the authentic version, and the author is not here to tell you. In the last 40 years, He said there are many printers in the last 40 years who claim to be relying on the Rambam's manuscripts, but the majority of cases, they're just pretending. They write, oh, based on ancient manuscripts, but they're not actually doing anything. He says, and many of that, those edits that they did based on handwritten manuscripts, they were only selectively chosen. They chose what worked with their agenda. And they only wrote it as an, oh, by the way, there's another variant reading like this. And even though there are handwritten manuscripts, it didn't stop them from again editing the Ramam's books however they felt like. Since there are still editors that are printing Ramam's today that are still editing the books. The rule that you should know. All of the printed editions of the Rambam that claim to have an authentic printing or manuscript They didn't change anything in the actual text of the Rambam that was already mistaken. He says, are all the other writings of the editors and the fixers and the analysts. Abachur has zetzer, that's Yiddish. All of these things, they just, they inherited all the mistakes of the other editors. And they made sure that they would remain an inheritance for the house of Israel to have the mistakes of the previous printings. 
they're stuck in the same mistakes that the previous editions had. And the Rambam in his true version of the Mishnah Torah, he said, and they left the real authentic readings of the Rambam, either for on the margin they have some notes, or in the back of the book they have a suggested fixings of the version of the Rambam. There's a pun from the prayers of Yom Kippurim. He says, and some have different footnotes, one on top, seven on the bottom. Remember when the Kohen Gadol used to do one here, seven there, and he would wave, and he didn't intend to wave, but he waved anyways. Right, he says, this is like there. They, they didn't intend to edit, they just wrote it there anyway. It's all, it's all done in a messy and sloppy fashion. In our current edition, we are returning things to the way they were. We turn the wheel 800 years backwards. To the point in time in which this book was created. And we are printing now with the help of Hashem the words of the Rambam himself completely. As we have in tradition that came out from under his blessed hands. And we've printed them exactly the way the Rambam wrote them. This is very rarely do I quote from the mistaken editions of the Rambam, only when it's necessary. In the footnotes. And I will say with an open mouth, with a proud mouth. This is the first time for the last 800 years that this book of the Rambam is being published from the hundred manuscripts of the rabbis of Yemen. The Yemenite manuscripts are being printed by the descendants of Yemenite Jews. The time has come. That the admirers of the Rambam, who said in the Kaddish, as the Ramban says, who said in your life and in our life and the life of Moshe, the son of Maimon, that they will finally be the ones to publish the Rambam's books as they received from him himself. As I said, the text here is from his handwritten manuscripts. That I've broken up the halachot as found in the original manuscripts that are in my possession. But because the works of halacha that are found throughout the world, when people quote the Rambam, they use the numbering system of the incorrect Rambams. I could not ignore them completely. I don't want to make a stumbling block for those people who are going to look for a source in the Rambam's writings. I 
I wrote the chapter numbers, the halakha numbers, that are from the handwritten manuscripts in brackets. See where it says a bit with a bracket? And the ones that are from the printed manuscripts, I put them in a parenthesis. And it seems to me that in this way, we'll make everybody happy. We'll fulfill their obligation both ways. So open up that random page of the Alma. Let's say the page, Kuf um, Tzadi. You want to do that? Yes. Is that a hard page to find? Kuf Tzadi. Look at Kuf Tzadi. So you see the second line? It says Yud Aleph in brackets and Hey in parentheses. So in the Rambam's manuscript, it says Yud Aleph. But in the printed versions, it says Hey. So if I were to want, if I were to reference this halakha and I would write, oh, it's in chapter Yud Aleph, nobody would find it. Because Yud Aleph only appears a few, actually Yud Aleph doesn't even appear, <laughs> it's later. Yud Aleph, they wouldn't be able to find the source. There is no chapter Yud Aleph here. And therefore he writes in brackets his halakha number. And in parentheses, he puts the numbering system of the regular editors. Now you should know in general, when you read the Talmud, for example, and you find words in brackets and words in parentheses, the words in brackets are always intended to be read because they're the correct version. And the words in parentheses are the incorrect version, oftentimes the censored version or whatever else happens. It's an interesting halakha. Why don't we read it? Just for a minute. For here, we don't open up the page for nothing. Siang shtika. This is straight from Prakavot. A fence, a way to become wise, is to be silent. Silence makes you smart. There are many ways to interpret the silence. Somebody once said, until you spoke, we thought you were stupid. Now that we spoke, we know that you're stupid. <laughs> There's a, there are some people in the world like that. It would be better for you to just be quiet. But really, people who listen, they listen more than they talk. They, they absorb information. They know how to think. They're not always sharing their opinion. <clears throat> a person shouldn't be very quick to respond to things. Think about what you say before you respond. And don't talk too much. And you should teach the students in a calm fashion, in a pleasant fashion. Without screaming. No wagging your fingers at people. Without overcomplicating things with excessive words. That's what Shlomo Amalek says. <coughs> the words of Chachamim, the words of the wise, are heard through pleasantness. What's the purpose of coming into a place and screaming at Tanmidi? Terrorizing your students. For what reason? You know what happened to my parents when I came to Israel for the first time? I sat in a shiul for the first time in my life with a person who was a walking, talking Shulchan Aruch. I never met someone like that before. I met many rabbis, walking, talking Gemaraz, walking, talking Mishnayot, but walking, talking Shulchan Aruch, I never met. And no matter which area of halakha you asked, he had an answer. And no matter what you said and how stupid it came off, he would tell you, you know, that's a, ask a better question than that. But you never felt like there was something you couldn't ask. 
you know, you're, I was a 19-year-old kid sitting in a shiur with people. They're all becoming rabbis. Some of them are already rabbis. And you can ask a question like anybody else who can ask a question. And the humility in which an answer is given, or the, I don't know, I don't know what to tell me think about that. Or that that's a very good question. That you might call positive reinforcement. It wasn't always positive. Appellate was tough on us sometimes, but it wasn't negative. It never screamed at us. It never got upset at us. I mean, there was one guy in the yeshiva. He had a harder time studying. And not just a hard time studying, it wasn't so much a learning disorder. It was a attention disorder. He had a phone. He liked to play with his phone. He liked to look at the wall. You know, it was a. Sarah Peretz did what a lot of teachers do. You, come sit here. And he had to sit in the chair in the hot seat, right next to Harap Peretz. I'm telling you, maybe three months or four months, Harap Peretz gave the shiur only to him. He taught all of us, but he's only talking to him. And if he didn't get it, he would explain it again. Because I don't care how much you know, but I'm catering to him. Until this guy got with the program. Today he's a rabbi. I'm not his name. He's a Khan. It took time. There are people who will get upset. Why are you catering to the lowest common denominator? You're right. You can't always. Sometimes you have to maintain a certain standard. But our parents have potential and therefore cater to that. All I'm saying as an educator, scare people away. You know, people do this a lot. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Yeah, teachers do this. Parents do this. What do you mean look at me when I'm talking? Why am I not looking at you? Because I'm afraid of looking at you. I'm, I'm anxious. That's why I'm not looking at you. I'm nervous from what you're going to do to me. Look at me in my face. You're screaming like a crazy person. A teacher sees that somebody didn't understand something. Or they're spacing out. Or they're whatever they're doing. Okay, Mr. So-and-so, can you tell me what I just said? He can't tell you what you just said. He can't. You saw he wasn't listening. What are you trying to embarrass them right now? You are trying to, so what's it going to accomplish? Well, next time they're going to listen. No, because tomorrow they're also not going to listen. You want to be a teacher? You want to be an educator. An educator says the Ramam. A chacham is one who's silent. What does silent mean? He does things calmly. He does things with patience. Haqayat Talmud is an investment. A student is an investment. Yesterday I called the rabbi mine. I haven't spoken to him in a year, a year and a half. A rabbi that I'm very close to. For advice on things that only he can give me advice on. My wife anyway, a phone call today. And when I was speaking to him, it was like I went back to being a little kid. The calm way in which he answered, the fact that even though he was preparing the shiu, he gave me 40 minutes of his time. Normally he doesn't answer his phone on Mondays. He, told me, he saw my number, he answered. He listened, he explained. We'll repeat it again a hundred times when I have trying to get out of him. Repeat it again and again. But that's why after all these years I still call him. You know how many teachers I had that I'll never call again? How many teachers I had that I remember the things they said to me in public? I once saw a rabbi. Hashem should forgive me. He's not with us anymore. I once saw a rabbi in a yeshiva. This, you know, this drove something in me a very long time ago. Never to differentiate between people who have a lot of money and people who don't have a lot of money. In the field that I'm in, there are many rabbis that's part of what they do for a living. I was once on a banquet here in San Diego. I was sitting next to somebody, and uh, they came around, you know, the rabbi came around to shake everybody's hand. And this guy says, Hey, rabbi, don't worry about shaking my hand. I don't have any money. Or I'm not rich enough for you. Something like that. 
And the rabbi, without batting, uh, just went right on and walked right by. Because he's a used car salesman with a nice suit and tie. It's all that money. So how much money you have is it worth my time. I don't take people for dinner who can't write me a big check afterwards. I don't have you for Shabbat in my house if you're not a big donor. I don't have you for... This is the way it works. This rabbi told this student in the yeshiva, he's let me tell you, you're wasting my time and you're on scholarship. I remember, I remember sitting in the office with him. For that, and he mentioned the amount of money his parents pay. For that X amount of dollars that your dad pays me, it's not worth the headache you're making for me. It's a young guy, 18 years old. So yeah, he has to feel anything. There are people that come. Why do they have to feel any different than anybody else? It's not a favor you do for somebody. It shows whether you're a chacham or not. You're a chacham or you're not a chacham. How do you treat people? How do you, we all make mistakes. I'm not here talking about mistakes. That wasn't a mistake. That was a calculated decision. of How much time I invest in people who are not financially worth it for me. Yeah, so maybe it is a reason why we sit here in this Akhilat uh, Shalaim office space. Could be. So what? I take this any day over a temple of gold and silver that people worship. But we're lucky that we have that. Certainly proud to have. The chokhmah that we show is when someone comes and they say, I don't care what car you drive. I don't care. You know, somebody told, I was talking to a security guard in a, in a temple, a very big temple. He said, you don't know what it's like here on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. He said, if you're a car enthusiast, you should come here in Yom Kippur for valet parking. Said, you should see the cars that drive into this parking lot. He said, fur coats. It's 80 degrees outside. Why the fur coat? I've got to walk into the Bedeknesset and poke your eyes out. You need to see how much money I can wear. Somebody has a watch. And he says, the watch? That watch is the same price as my car. That watch is eight mortgage payments of mine. You wear my house on your wrist. <laughs> What's the purpose of it? What well, tells time better? Your watch tells better time than my wife tells time? It's all a matter of poking your eyes out. Such a person can't be a chacham. What kind of chacham is that? But a community also can't be like that. Do you want to be effective in life? Do things with pleasantness. You know, back in the day, if I'm really talking about Peretz, back in the day when I called the Peretz about certain, I'll call them Bible-thumping rabbis. They're Bible-thumpers. They come around, hit people on the head. Yo, this one, screaming. So the Peretz, but are they wrong? I said, of course they're wrong. I said, ah, but they're right. It says in the book, like X, Y, and Z, so they don't understand how to read the book. So what's the purpose that they're accomplishing? What are you trying to accomplish? You're trying to accomplish people leaving Judaism? That's a great way to do it. You're trying to accomplish that people are going to want to stay inside? When's the last time you threw a rock at a guy on Shabbat? He's, oh, now I want to keep Shabbat. Yeah. I was driving, the, they ambushed me in Masharim and threw rocks in my car. Now I'm going to do Teshuvah and keep Shabbat. When's the last time it happened? But when's the last time someone said, hey, why don't you come over to my house for Shabbat? I don't care how you come. Meet my family. Know my kids. And then you find, a, however much down the road, this person's coming to Bedeknesset, they wear tefillin, their kids go to Jewish schools. It's not missionary work. It's simple humanity that HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects from us. I don't even say that it's tolerance. 
People use that word about tolerance. I gave a sure once on tolerance. It's simple patience. It's kindness to another person. I'm just a human being like you are. And know me as a human being. Know the Jewish community as human beings. Somebody once called me Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. She doesn't want to go to the Bed of Knesset because she can't put on makeup. I said, okay, so who cares? I can't go to Bed of Knesset without makeup because then I'm going to feel like I'm from the poorer people in the synagogue. I think to myself, it's Yom Kippur. It's not, you're not talking here about Hanukkah. You're not talking about Yom Kippur. Someone is looking at you to tell how much makeup you have. They're judging you on Yom Kippurim. That's the day you want to judge people on. We're creating a monster. And the only way to combat this monster is with real chokhmah, with real wisdom. And perhaps back to Rabbi Yosef Kapach's introduction. Small deviations, little tiny ones, a period in the wrong place, a space in the wrong paragraph, may look insignificant 800 years ago. But let that gap become wider and wider and wider as 800 years go forward. And you'll find these are canyons. These are insurmountable differences. You're reaching a place where there are Jewish communities that I don't see any way to reconcile the differences between them. And then you say, so one period was worth it? One deviance was worth it? Pesach is right around the corner. Your little stringency you want to take on yourself is enough that today you have, from one Tamil Chacham who didn't eat green peas on Pesach, you now have two whole religions in the Jewish people who won't eat in each other's houses. But what I said is not an over-exaggeration. It's two different religions in the Jewish people who won't eat in each other's houses. Yeah, it's only eight days, that's right. It's eight days where Am Yisrael becomes separated. We left Egypt together. And we celebrated it separately. It's a very curious thing. We allow small things to wedge their way in. Those wedges become bigger and bigger and bigger. And sometimes you wonder, so who cares this text of the Rambam, that text of the Rambam? It really does make a difference. It makes a difference to be accurate. It makes a difference when you explain Torah to explain Torah correctly. Because explaining Torah incorrectly is what leads to perversions down the road. It's the problem, even unintentional. There's unintended consequences. Sometimes nobody intended it. It wasn't malicious. It simply happens that one day it will be this way. I once wrote an article, and I suggest this article, you don't have to read my article, but the concept to think about it. In the Jewish community, we've always critiqued each other. We've always peer-reviewed each other. Only lately in the Jewish community, has oh, not lately, it's always been this way. Nothing's new under the sun. But lately, in the, in the last hundreds of years, critique on a, another element of the Jewish community comes off as, oh, it's baseless hatred, it's lack of unity, what about Avat Yisrael, what about all of this, what about that? This is the truest Avat Yisrael. I'm afraid that your slight deviation that you won't allow me to critique will one day mean that my child and your child can't get married because we don't feel that we're part of the same religion anymore. Those deviances may seem small now. Those deviations may seem small now. But one day they'll get bigger. Rabbi Yosef Kapach says, I'm turning the wheel back 800 years. We're going to go back, not to the Rambam, but to the real Rambam. And we're going to start picking apart his real books and seeing so what is Judaism supposed to look like. Without Hashem, on Monday, we're going to take apart 
the journey of his father and grandfather and their, their mission in Yemen to save as many manuscripts as they could. And we're going to go through different understandings of the Ramam. Soon Rav Kapach will switch less history and more to understand why certain halakhot of the Rambam are a certain way. When does the Rambam rule with certain words and different things? And then ultimately, after we finish with Kapach's lengthy introduction, we'll reach the Rambam himself in his introduction uh, to the Mishnah Torah.